Everybody joining me this week on the show is Troy Sadowski, his 1988 All-American tight end for the Georgia Bulldogs and spent 10 years in the National Football League. Uh, Troy, thanks for uh, taking some time out and being on the show this week. Uh, my pleasure. been looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to this conversation as well. And, uh, you know, before we get started in your playing days, uh, you had a, a family history in athletics. Is that right? It is. I had uh, my dad, uh, Bob Sadowski, and two uncles. Uh, played professional baseball, and uh, when I was growing up, actually, baseball was my sport. I was going to follow uh, the footsteps of my dad, but then it got to the point where football kind of took over and dominated uh, when it came to sports, so I made that decision uh, to stick with football. Also, uh, growing up, I was always known as Bob Sadowski's son, so it was pretty neat to be able to uh, get into a sport that uh, other family members uh, weren't involved in and they actually could make a name for yourself yeah and uh, you know other than that i mean what was it about the game of football that drew it drew to you the baseball part of it it, it came uh and rather easily uh for me because uh, my dad i mean uh when i was eight years old i was out uh hitting you know 95 mile an hour fastballs for my dad and <laughs> it baseball was it just came so easy and football it took a little more effort, and uh, it was something I wasn't used to. Actually, when I was growing up playing football for the Atlanta Colts, uh, I hated football. Uh, I wasn't very good at it. Um, I had to play because it was based on weight in the older uh, division of the kids that were uh, three and four years older than me. I could never seem to break the lineup, and uh, I never played unless it was 63 to nothing. Mm. Um. When you started playing, uh, were you a tight end to start off with, or did you play other positions? Uh, I played other positions when, when I was growing up. Uh, I, I did a lot of uh, defense, uh, the defensive line, and then in high school, uh, I was actually eighth grade. I was a quarterback and a safety, and kind of grew out of that position rather quickly, uh, and then went over uh, to the tight end position, uh, as well as uh, outside linebacker. And um, when I signed at the University of Georgia, the uh, first week we were there, the freshman, it was an evaluation week, and the week was over. Uh, Coach Dooley called me into his office and said that uh, uh, we wanted to move uh, me from um, outside linebacker to tight end. And uh, looking back, uh, obviously, uh, Coach Dooley knew, knew what he was doing. Um, you know, you talked about, you know, your recruitment. What was it like back then with, you know, being recruited, you know, going to Georgia? Because, you know, nowadays, and the way it is today, it's so publicized recruiting now. I mean, it's it's almost its own sport in itself with the coverage recruiting gets. How was it different when you were getting recruited? It, it has changed a lot. I mean, but they, the, the, the core stuff of it, you know, you get to choose, uh, narrow it down to, five schools and you can take five official visits. Uh, but it, like you said, it was not as publicized. It was not a media event like it is today. Uh, we didn't have special gatherings at restaurants and sports bars, uh, to announce our decisions. It was just kind of one of those things that, uh, you did. And I actually did mine, uh, when Georgia was in Athens practicing for the cotton bowl, um, I was asked and invited to come up by Bill Lewis, who was uh, the main recruiter that recruited me. 
and uh, just watching the practice and uh, being able to be that close. Uh, after the practice, Coach Dooley and I took a little walk over by the track and uh, we're talking and uh, I just felt at that time uh, I was ready to go ahead and commit. So I did. And that had to be awesome, like the first time meeting Vince Dooley. You got a legend in the sport. Just what was he like? It was. Uh, he, uh, not only is he a coach, he's also a good friend. And uh, I spoke with him earlier uh, in the spring, uh, and he's always been uh, accessible for everybody. And he's always had an open door policy. And, and I've really been uh, fortunate enough to. Uh, develop a relationship with him outside of football so uh, that's something that has been special and continues to be special you know you, you played the tight end position was there any in that time you know when you were playing at georgia or was there any other like tight ends playing maybe in the nfl or even college that you looked up to when i was growing up it was kellen winslow uh for the san diego chargers um he was always Somebody that I admired watching him play because he he uh, was well-rounded uh, player when he played tight end. He uh, not only just you know put up good statistics, but the guy could block, and uh, that was one of the things uh, I took a lot of pride in was being a well-rounded tight end. And at Georgia, uh, you know, we run the football a lot. You mm-hmm. know, uh, the tight end position, you're a blocker first and a receiver second, and. Um, I, I'm still amazed that I actually made, uh, you know, a couple different All-American teams because uh, a lot of these guys, they, uh, I mean, I caught 42 passes in my whole career when I was at Georgia. And um, uh, guys now, they, they catch that in half a season. <laughs> so uh, it was pretty pretty neat when, when I got that phone call from Coach Dooley letting me uh, know that I made uh, the Walter Camp All-American team. And uh, it just uh, shows me and showed a lot of people that, uh, there's more to than just stats. Uh, they look at your total game, uh, and then and on and off the field as well. Oh, when you, you know you look back at your time at Georgia, was there like a game or a moment that really stood out for you? You know, just for yourself individually, and also like at, on a team level too. Um, I think the the sweetest part for a lot of us was when we found out that Coach Dooley was going to be retiring, and that. Uh, our last games were also going to be his last games. And uh, we ended up uh, finishing out the season, beating Georgia Tech uh, at home, uh, and then uh, going off and playing in the Gator Bowl and uh, finishing, you know, getting his uh, 200 and 201st victories was uh, quite special to be a part of that because he was such a great coach for so many years. And uh, he is still... Uh, a part of Georgia football. Uh, he might not be there all the time, but uh, his legacy and uh, it, it still remains. And it, it, it was a beautiful thing being part of that. Yeah, and you know that's great because to uh, most coaches, I mean, really, they don't get that. I mean, there's so many coaches. You know, it ends badly, and for him, uh, nine and three season, you guys, you know, sent him out with a victory. It was it's a rarity almost, and it seems like any sport just to be able to go out that way. It, it was, uh, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, thankful and grateful that you know, I was part of the team. Uh, you know, you mentioned the nine and three record, and uh, uh, when I was at Georgia, Auburn was a thorn in our side. Uh, there were twice that we lost to them that would have uh, sent us 
through the Sugar Bowl, and, and I would have had two SEC championship rings. Uh, but um, it ended up uh, – I enjoyed my time there. Um, uh, this past uh, January, I had got a, a call from a friend and a text message that um, – I guess there was a magazine that came out around uh, bowl season that uh, Lindy's uh, had recognized me as uh, Georgia's all-time tight end, and that was uh, quite an honor to, to be named because there's been so many great tight ends uh, play at Georgia. And uh, to be mentioned with uh, names like Herschel Walker and Heinz Ward uh, was quite an accomplishment and an honor. You, you mentioned Auburn there, and I wanted to ask you because, you know, I, I I see Georgia, and and for me, I always wonder, or maybe from a player standpoint, the biggest rivalry, because I hear so much about the Florida game. That's big. Uh, the Georgia Tech, and, you know, Auburn's always been, you know, a big rivalry. When you were playing, who was the main rival for Georgia? I think we had several different ones, and Auburn was one of them, uh, Georgia Tech, because of the in-state rivalry, uh, but that – Georgia-Florida game, that was always a special game that everybody uh, circled on the calendar because they knew that they were going to head to Jacksonville. And it was a little different back then. Uh, that's back when the Gator Bowl was made of aluminum and metal. Uh, and uh, the, the crowd was always uh, specially excited for those games. Uh, you're coming in on the team bus and the opposing uh, team would come over and start rocking the bus back and forth and uh, just the, uh, the stamping and the stomping in the stands uh, during pregame uh, was quite a, a spectacle to be around. And uh, that was always one of my favorite games because at the time, I mean, it, uh, I think the one year uh, it was either 85 or 86, um, Florida was ranked number one in the country. And we were able to go down there and knock them off. Um, had the opportunity to play in the, those games with uh, some incredible players. Uh, I remember Keith Henderson and Tim Worley uh, running all over Florida their freshman year and Lars Tate. Uh, that was another thing, being uh, a tight end of Georgia. Um, although the statistics weren't uh, large, uh, the satisfaction was there, and uh, it was just as satisfying to me to watch uh, one of those great running backs, uh, Keith Henderson, Tim Worley, Lars Tate, Rodney Hampton, uh, run a toss sweep, come off of your block, and run 85 yards for a touchdown. That, to me, was just as good as catching a touchdown pass in a game. Um, you know, then after that, you know, Georgie, you go on to the NFL. Just, you know, how cool was it for you to be drafted by the Atlanta Falcons and get to stay in the state of Georgia? That was exciting, uh, getting to play for the home team. Uh, you know, I got to, for most of my career, to, to stay local, so to speak. And uh, the uh, Smith family at the time, they were, you know, Georgia Bulldogs. So uh, that was one thing that they were excited about was getting a Georgia Bulldog. But um, I'd learned real quickly that the NFL, uh, it works a little bit differently than uh, most sports. The window of opportunity uh, it rapidly closes. I think the average NFL career lasts two years or less. So to be able to last 10 years was um, was quite a feat. But um, 
starting out with the Falcons, I mean, and being the local guy was great. Uh, you know, on and off the field, there's a lot of people wanted to come in and talk to their uh, football teams at their banquets and whatnot. So got to make a little money on the off season uh, as well. But um, getting a chance to play for the Smith family was 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 nice. Uh, they were very uh, welcoming and gracious uh, to myself as well as some of the other players that were there. Uh, and being in that draft class with um, players like Sean Collins and Deion Sanders uh, was also special as well. And, uh, you know, kind of like we talked about with the you know recruiting process, the process between, you know, when you played your last game at Georgia to the draft, what was that process like? You know, once again, it's like today the NFL draft is – this big thing it's this big event i mean it, it it beats other sports i mean nba playoffs and tv ratings i mean it's a it's such a big deal so for you going into the draft after you got done at georgia what was that whole process like well i mean it, it was just the same back then it just wasn't publicized and viewed the way that it is now i mean now they have the uh nfl network and all these other channels that uh, they they show the combine. Uh, you can watch it. You can watch replays of it. Uh, they didn't have that. They still had the combine, and uh, I was invited to go and was excited about being there. Um, but it wasn't the spectacle that it is now. Um, but it was it was interesting to get you. You know, you get to pretend uh, to to come in there and size yourself up uh, up against so the other players. Uh, that played the same position around the country that you heard about. And uh, when I was there, Walter Reeves at Auburn was another name. Uh, and then uh, Marv Cook, the University of Iowa. Uh, he had all the statistics uh, and made several All-American teams as well. So uh, that gave us that opportunity to size up and see how we matched up against them uh, up close. And that, that was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the, And then you have the interview process. Uh, they still had pro days when they came out to the schools and what looked at players individually. So uh, being there and, and being a, and asked to participate in, in those things was, was quite uh, was quite an honor because they don't just do that with everybody. And then eventually I uh, was drafted in the sixth round, 145th by the Atlanta Falcons. Um, that's back when they had 12 rounds. Now they don't have that many rounds. So uh, just – Getting drafted uh, was exciting as uh, enough. Oh, when you were growing up, did uh, did you have a favorite NFL team uh, growing up? Well, when I was growing up, the Falcons weren't very good, but uh, my dad uh, was from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was a huge Steeler fan. All my relatives uh, up in the Pittsburgh area, uh, when I was growing up, used to send down jerseys. Uh, hats and t-shirts and things like that so I grew up a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and then eventually uh, getting a chance in 97 and 98 to play for that team uh, was like a dream come true um, unbelievable franchise uh, the Rooney family they they run it uh, like a big family uh, they treat the players like family um, and getting that chance to, to be there and uh, Mr. Rooney was really big on bringing back former players. He felt that uh, champions will breed champions and that championships breed championships. So it was very common to be walking down the hallway 
and then here comes Franco Harris, Rocky Blyer, Lynn Swan. And I was like a little kid. Uh, I'd tell people, hey, man, give me a Sharpie. <laughs> Mr. Swan, can you sign my shirt for me? Uh, so that that was kind of neat. And then uh, I got to play with some incredible uh, players on uh, both sides of the ball up in Pittsburgh. And that was uh, the closest I got to winning a Super Bowl. We lost in the uh, AFC Championship game to the Denver Broncos, who went on uh, to be world champions that year. But um, just to be there and, and play for a team uh, that you watched uh, when you were little was, was, was incredible. Yeah, I've always admired the Pittsburgh Steelers franchise because, I mean, one, just the consistency with coaches. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of turnover there that hasn't been in the the uh, franchise's history. And you see a lot of teams out there nowadays, if you have one bad year, it's time to get rid of the coach. The patience and consistency there at the top, I think that equals a big reason why they've been consistently one of the best franchises in the NFL's history. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, from uh... – Chuck Knoll to Bill Cower uh, to Mike Tomlin. Um, they've just had a, an incredible staff. And like you said, there's not a lot of turnover. But um, it, they're, they're a little bit different. I mean, they truly do uh, treat everybody like family. It's like a big family. I mean, when I was up there, um, uh, Mr. Rooney had found out that uh, Mike Webster, one of the uh, centers that played for the Super Bowl teams in the 70s, that, that he had hit some hard times. Uh, and somebody had said that he was uh, homeless. Um, I don't know if that was accurate, but I know that Mr. Rooney sent somebody to get him and, and brought him and put him in an apartment across the street from the uh, the stadium and gave him a job. And that's just the way that they handle those things. And um, they've really been fortunate, and uh, they've had some incredible teams over the years. And I think that that's just the trickle-down that comes from at the top of the ownership. You know, and I was looking, uh, you know, through your career, in, you know, in 1991, uh, you were with the Kansas City Chiefs. Interesting that Bill Cowher was on the staff there, and then he was your head coach with the Steelers. I mean, I know he was on the defensive side of the ball. Was there any familiarity with each other? Was that a, a part of going to the Steelers? Uh, what was that connection? It, it, it was. Back then, uh, Marty Schottenheimer was the head coach. Bill Cowher was the uh, defensive coordinator, linebacker coach, um, and uh, Herman Edwards uh, and Tony Junji were uh, defensive back coaches for them. It was an all-star staff. But, it, I mean, the NFL is the good old boy network. Um, Bill Cowher was, uh, remembered me from 91 when I was with the Chiefs, the type of player that I was, and um, – also, I was coming from the Cincinnati Bengals uh, for the three years that I was there and uh, had a lot of playing time and played the Steelers an awful lot. So he was very familiar uh, with me, uh, as well as Mike Malarkey, who was the tight end coach. So uh, I think a lot of that had to do with it. Yeah, you know, what was that like going from a one division you know, team you know, at, at that time, the AFC Central with the Cincinnati, then going to Pittsburgh? It was, it was, it was awesome <laughs> uh, to go from um, uh, the, the cellar dweller uh, team that was struggling all the time to uh, division champions uh, it was awesome. And then getting a chance, I did the same thing after uh, I, I reached an injury settlement with Pittsburgh. I had dislocated my collarbone, and they had to put me on IR. 
um, but it wasn't an, an IR for the entire year. And the only way to get to play for another team would be to do an injury settlement and break my IR status with Pittsburgh. But that meant I had to go somewhere else. I couldn't come back and play with them. And I was able to uh, catch on with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they were the next up-and-coming team in that division. And actually, the year that I went from Pittsburgh to there, uh, Jacksonville won the division uh, championship that year and, and went to the playoffs. And we ended up losing uh, in the divisional round to the New York Jets. But I went from one great team to another great team. Uh, it was an incredible way to finish up my career. Uh, uh, what went into your decision, you know, to, you know, to hang them up, you know, to, to call it a career? Um, after Jacksonville, there was nothing that was better than a 50-50 chance of making anybody's roster. Um, the Washington Redskins actually had brought me in, uh, but they had, were bringing me in because they wanted to use me as bait to get another player uh, – to uh, re-up his contract and, and re-sign with the team. So um, at that point, I realized I didn't want to be put in any games with teams. I had a really good career in the last 10 years, and I didn't want to be anybody's training camp person. Uh, there are guys that they'll keep on the roster throughout training camp that take all the reps and take all the punishment uh, just to get the starter through okay and uninjured. And then they release them. And at that point in my career, I didn't want to be somebody like that, uh, known as the guy that just tried to hang on. Uh, so at that moment, I, I realized it was time to move on. Um, and, you know, you look at the in the NFL, you know, being you were a player, you were in it, you know, as me as a fan and other fans, you see from an outside point of view, just what is the NFL life like? Um. It was like a fantasy world. Uh, and, and looking back, um, we are all one decision away from stupid. Um, life is just a series of choices. And when I was playing early on in my career, some of the choices I made were not the best choices. Uh, and looking back, I wish I could uh, have a life remote and rewind uh, back and uh, make some different choices that I made throughout my life, especially in my career after uh, reaching the NFL, because um, I always tell uh, my kids that um, uh, men, their brains really don't start operating properly till they're in their thirties. <laughs> uh, and, and there's a lot of things I would have done differently because um when you're there, it's a whole different world. Um, it's the glitz, the glamour, uh, the money, the cars, the homes, the, the jewelry, the uh, the traveling, the vacations. Um, but that's not the way that uh, life really is for a lot of people. And it's like a fantasy world. And um, I would love to be able to go back and, and change and alter some of the decisions that I made throughout my career um, because I think that um, they were made uh, based on uh, a young man that was uh, very immature in in, uh, in life. 
Well, I just hit, I mean, I'm 31 now, so I hope my brain finally can't start working. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's question about that sometimes. Sometimes what I say on behind this microphone especially. Uh, you the position can you play, <laughs> uh, The position you play tied in has really changed. You know, really, it seems like in the last maybe five to ten years, I mean, you see tight ends like Gronkowski, you know, what Jimmy Graham was able to do, Travis Kelsey, so on with these guys now. Just uh, what is your, your thoughts on the way the tight end position has perhaps changed, like I said, in the last decade? It, it has morphed. Uh, they're now receivers and blockers second. But when I got into the league, I think the opportunity that I had to play uh, was because I was a, a blocking tight end. I also uh, played all the special teams, which a lot of the superstars don't want to do because they don't want to get injured, but I was willing to do that because the more that you do, the more that you can do, the more valuable you are and the more likely that you are to make a roster. I was not a multi-million dollar superstar by any means, but uh, I had to fight year in and year out to either keep my roster spot or make a roster on a new team. Uh, so I had to do some of the, the dirty things that a lot of the players didn't want to do. Uh, but now these uh, these guys are catching uh, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 balls, and they're surpassing the 1,000-yard the and, re- and receiving yards. So uh, they have really uh, stepped it up, and it, they're almost um, giant wide receivers. <laughs> yes, it's... it's... It, to me, like you know, like to see a player, like I said, like a, a Rob Gronkowski, I'm like, just, just throw it up to him. I mean, sometimes it seems like he cannot be guarded. It's just, it's amazing, you know, how the, the even the game has, has changed as much. Like you were mentioning when you was at Georgia, it was so much a running, you know, your running team. Now it seems like everybody's just shotgun spread in college, throwing it all over the place. Well, and, and that's what it is now. I mean, everybody wants to open it up. They want the... Uh... Uh, the high-scoring games. You know, they, they want to see Oklahoma-Georgia-Rose Bowl. They want to see those the points go up on the board, and uh, that's the way to do it is to spread everybody out and make these defenders play in open space, and it makes things a little more difficult. Um, look what Alabama did with Georgia in the national championship game. They were able to come out in the second half, Um with that, uh, the quarterback Tua, and uh, he threw the ball around, and it, it made things a little bit different. Uh, Georgia had to make adjustments to it, and uh, by the time they could do anything, uh, it was a little bit too late. But that's what people like to see now. They they want to see the yards uh, after the catch. They want to see the quick plays, the screens to the wide receivers, and let them run. Um, I, I like it. I mean, the high-flying, I was part of that when I was in Atlanta with Jerry Glanville. He ran that run-and-shoot offense, and you're starting to see a little bit of that, a hybrid run-and-shoot. But the quarterbacks, um, we we need to have different quarterbacks when it comes to that. uh, You you can't run a a spread offense with a Ben Roethlisberger. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just he he's your prototype drop back quarterback i can't see him pulling the pulling the ball down and running but i'm sure he would if he had the chance 
I've, you know, it's, it's crazy with him. It's just, it seems like he's just swatting gnats sometimes back there when he's back quarterback. Uh, you oh, know, I don't know how long longer he can play, but, uh, uh, I hope he plays a little bit longer. I enjoy watching him play. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, for transition, you know, let everybody know what you're up to now. You talked about Georgia. You lost, they lost Alabama, uh, in the national championship game. Uh, your school, Georgia, just, uh, what are your expectations, uh, for the 2018 team? I think they're just going to continue to get better and better. Uh, one of the things that Kirby Smart and his staff are doing really well is that they're keeping the uh, in-state talent in the state. And that was one of the big things that was going on before. We were losing all these players to all these other schools. But now he's starting to retain those players and he's starting to build. Uh, I mean, you have a handful of states where uh, the talent is just, you know, uh, that much better than the other. And uh, we're starting to pluck athletes from those places as well as keeping the players in state. So they have a pretty impressive roster. I know that some of the positions are still, they're young, but these, these guys are going to have to learn on the fly. And I think they will. I think Kirby has a staff that can coach these players up. Um, and I think that they're, uh, like he said, they're here to stay. And I think, um, uh, they should win the East again, and they should be back in the SEC championship and uh, potentially in the national championship picture again. And I think that'll be for a while. Yeah, it's, it, it's almost it looks like, I mean, you wanted to, you got a Nick Saban assistant. It, it is, it, what he do is almost mirroring, I think, Nick Saban a little bit, but with a little bit extra, I hate to say it, but fun <laughs> with what he, he does. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, Alabama is the benchmark program. That's what everybody wants to be. Uh, I mean, look what Urban Meyer's done. Urban Meyer left the SEC, and he's gone up uh, north, and he's created a, an SEC football team in Ohio. I mean, that's what they are. That is an SEC football team playing in Ohio. Uh, most definitely, most definitely. And, uh, you know, so uh talked about your college, you know, your pro career, you know, so what are you up to nowadays? Uh, what can you tell the listeners what you're doing now? Well, um, when I got out of football, I got into real estate and uh, realized that uh, my wife was a real estate broker and we didn't work well together. So I got on the mortgage side of it and uh, became a mortgage banker. I did that for 13 years, and then I had an opportunity uh, to get into uh, practical life and end-of-life planning. Uh, a lot of people refer to it as estate planning. Um, me and a friend of mine, uh, we were able to work with a company called CLA Estate Services that were out of Frisco, Texas. And we traveled around the S, uh, the southeast and doing uh, estate planning presentations uh, at um, embassy suites and Hyatt's, places like that. Uh, but we had an opportunity uh, to branch out um, um I was radically saved at 31 in the summer of 1997, and um, God has opened up some incredible doors of opportunities. Uh, we got uh, a partnership agreement. We have a partnership agreement with the Free Will Baptist Foundation. We uh, There's five of us that travel around the country, uh, and we go into their churches, and we educate the people on the best ways to protect their family and how to keep the government out of your family when life events happen. Uh, I'm kind of like the um, 
National Weather Service that comes on your radio or your television. We all hear that annoying sound, but it automatically grabs our attention because that's what it's there for, uh, because they're going to educate us and tell us what's going on about the uh, probability of bad weather ahead of us when it comes to uh, steering our family ships. So uh, we educate people and teach them how to keep the government out of their family business, how to avoid uh, the probability of the uh, storms ahead and how they can navigate the waters through those uh, storms so their families arrive on the other side safe and sound. Um, so we've been doing this now for about five years. I absolutely love it because I get to work with um, uh, like-minded people that are uh, Christ-centered and have Christ-centered lives. Uh, and getting a chance to work with people that... Uh, have the same mindset as you is, is really special. Uh, this is God's ministry and he allows Troy Sadowski to come along for the ride. And it's, it's been, it's been awesome. Is there uh, anywhere out there for if anybody was interested where they can find out more information? Um, they could contact me. Uh, you can send me an email at, at Troy Sadowski at Comcast.net. Uh, that's probably the best way to do that. So, um, if you want to keep the government out of your family business, I'd love to help you. Uh, I think it'll be a blessing and an answered prayer to a lot of people. All right, sounds good. And uh, Troy, I've had a lot of fun talking to you. You know, football, your career, and everything else. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out, being on this week's edition of the Football Report podcast. And uh, I look forward to maybe uh, chatting with you uh, sometime down the road as well. Oh. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Uh, and if you need me for anything, uh, just give me a call. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Go dogs.